Hello and welcome to another episode of the Craftsman Creative Podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode. I was able to chat with Danielle Maville. She's the head of community over at Burb. Burb.co is a new company that's helping creators manage their communities. I found out about them just a few weeks ago and Danielle reached out and wanted to do a podcast. I thought this would be awesome because I'm building community right now. You can learn more about that at societyofindependentcreators.com. Now, if you have not yet subscribed to the newsletter at craftsmancreative.co, you are missing out. On this newsletter, I help creators build six-figure businesses. That's what it's all about. So go and get the free five-day email series that will help you get started. And you can do that for free over at craftsmancreative.co. Now, onto the episode, we talk about community strategy. We talk about what kind of mindset you should go into a a community with. We talk about how to grow your community from where it's really you talking to your community to your community talking to each other, which is a huge progression that every community needs to go to. And Danielle reveals all of her secrets from her ex- like extremely deep experience in running communities for big companies like Etsy and Airbnb and others. So, hope you enjoy the episode, and here we go. I call these crafts and creative workshops rather than like a podcast or an interview because the whole goal is to get actionable and to really dive into the details on different aspects of like being a creator in the creator economy. So I'm really excited. We kind of met um, in a unique way. I signed up for an app called Burb because Drew, the CEO, saw that I needed some very specific tool <laughs> when it came to my community. And he reached out and said, dude, you got to check out Burb. Turns out that like I have friends that have invested in Burb recently. So that's cool. kind of cool to, to see. And then um, he was really talking about you as kind of the community lead over at Burb. And so, Danielle, maybe just for context, let's um, hear kind of your short bio as far as like how Mm -hmm. you ended up at Burb. And then what we're going to talk about today is community, kind of community strategy. How do you grow a community? What do the first six months look like? How do you launch one? Those kind of things. Um, Why don't you give us kind of the the quick bio? And then for those that are watching or listening live, uh, we will do some Q&A at the end. So you can leave your comments in the chat. Um, You can you know, say hi, you can ask questions, anything like that. And if you're on a computer using Chrome, you can actually click start live call at that point, And we will uh, actually invite you on and you can use your camera and be here live with us and ask your questions. So uh, with all that housekeeping out of the way, hi, Danielle, thanks for being here. Why don't you share a little bit about your background in, in the community space? Sure. Um, I think all of us in the community space have kind of a wild, windy road here. <laughs> it's not like you go to school and learn about community and then you get dropped into running a community. It's just not how it works. Um, so I was actually a goldsmith living in Detroit. I had just moved to Detroit from Toronto. I had no friends. Um, and I listed, I was working for another goldsmith and I listed one of my own items on Etsy. Um, and it sold immediately. And I was like, whoa, well, maybe there's something here. So I started listing more things and I became a top seller within a couple months. And, um, I just became a, 
um, you know, evangelist of Etsy and made a lot of friends through Etsy, other sellers in Detroit. And we shared tips and tricks. And I ended up running Etsy um, volunteer teams, which we'll get into talking about, like, how to get your, you know, community more involved in, in leadership roles. And really, I made up a leadership role and I ran a bunch of things for Etsy. And they came and flew to Detroit and met me and saw what I was doing and asked me to come to Brooklyn, New York, and, you know, this Canadian girl <laughs> going to Brooklyn um, and running a community education program. So I did that for five to six years. Um, didn't know what I was doing at all. Made a ton of mistakes. I write about those on my blog. We might talk about them here, <laughs> but also hit on some things that worked. Um, so it was really fun. And I did that for a while. And then since then, I've worked at Airbnb. I've worked at Lyft. I've uh, strategized with Patreon. Um, so really on this brand community side and just most recently building tools for the creators who are building communities um, through Burp. That is quite the, uh, the resume there. So um, <laughs> I'm glad that we covered it, though, because I think it's important for those who are listening and who will listen to this podcast um, to understand that you're speaking from a place of authority. Like you've been doing this for a while at a very high level. And so... Uh, we're really lucky to have this opportunity to chat and to get kind of get in the weeds when it comes to community. So for for a little bit of context, and then we'll dive in. I just started a community. It's the first time I've done this. I've been a member of many communities, whether it be on Circle or Discord or Slack or Facebook groups back in the day. I stay away from Facebook groups these days, but that's another story. Same. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I, I have a lot of questions um, and I'm, I'm sure, and especially talking with other creators, everybody kind of goes through a very similar early stages of launching and then starting a community. Some give up too early because, you know, they never mm -hmm. really make the shift into it being a real you know, semi-autonomous community where there's activity going on uh, independent of the community founder. So yeah. that's where I'd love to kick off, right? So let's skip over the launch part for a minute and assume that the people that are listening to this already have a community. Maybe they have a Facebook group, a Discord thing, they've got a circle community, whatever it might be. And one thing that you mentioned that would be worth talking about is this um, process of going from like a one-to-many um, scenario where like you're the founder of the community and you're generating most of the content and starting most of the conversations, getting to the mm -hmm. point where the community is actually like self-sustaining, where there's other individuals that are taking lead on different groups or channels or topics. There's people helping you out. Um, everybody's chatting regardless of whether you're there or not. So maybe you can walk mm -hmm. us through um, your experience kind of crafting that process and like what do you do where do you start how do you think of it maybe we can start high level and think of about like the mindset and the philosophy or psychology around that and then we can get in the weeds on like how do you actually do that as a founder of a community yeah well, I had to learn how to do this out of necessity. So when I started at Etsy, there might have been 50,000 Etsy sellers, which is a lot of community members, but we grew to 1 million while I was there. So how the heck am I going to serve a million creators on Etsy, right? Just, it, it doesn't make sense. So I had to really think about what programs could I put into place that would give people a leadership role um, and allow them to like have autonomy and run 
some sort of programming uh, themselves. And how do I keep an eye on that and make sure it aligns with the brand and the mission and the vision? So I kind of learned that in a piecemeal, patchy way, and I can talk about some experiences there. But um, after Etsy, I learned that community management was a thing <laughs> and that people had theories and strategies and frameworks. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. Um, I was just in my own little bubble. Uh, and I met someone named Carrie Melissa Jones. I would suggest everyone follow her. She also has a circle and a course, um, but she is like epic at building communities and and this problem that we're talking about right now. Um, so she has a framework called the Community Commitment Curve. Um, and if you just Google Community Commitment Curve, it'll show up. And that allows you to think through and visualize the journey of your community member from being, you know, a new user and just logging in um, to maybe being an advocate, running a program, um, advising on like what the next step for this community would be, being on a council, you know, like these really like deeper commitments that people can make. So I think it can be really intimidating to think about, oh gosh, what is this one program, this one thing that allows people to take over? Um, if you break it down piece by piece and just try to get people to be a little bit more committed step by step, um, it will make more sense when you you get to this like, okay, what is the program about? Often I think we're trying to solve problems on our own um, and come up with programming on our own, come up with events on our own, but that's like exactly, you know, that's feed, the snake feeding its tail of the problem. So you'll want to develop this with your community and you all kind of grow together and figure out how you can elevate them as leaders. Um, I could talk more about that journey, but yeah. hopefully that framework helps. Well, this is a good place to kind of start talking about my experience as well as an example, but also asking some more questions. And so... The first thing I think is important is like milestones, right? There are certain times in a in the lifestyle of a community where, you know, you're doing your launch. Maybe you've got your initial like seed audience where you've got 25 or 50 or 100 people in there to start. And every community is different. Like I'm not looking to grow to a million people. <laughs> that scares the piss out of me. And so the idea of even getting to 10,000 is like, no, that's not what I'm trying to build. So some people might yeah. hear that and go, well, that doesn't apply here because I only want a community of a hundred or a thousand people. But mm -hmm. my assumption, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is that there's going to be a point where you're kind of in the early stage where um, if you give up too early, you never actually make it to the next stage, right? That sounds mm -hmm. like an obvious yeah. question, but I guess the, the yeah. question is, what's that milestone in your mind? Um, is it a certain number of people is a certain type of engagements mm -hmm. that are happening. Is it a certain frequency of stuff? Like how do you kind of look at the early stage of a community and when the, um, the founder, I don't know if that's the right term to be using for a community, but if the creator of the community, when should they shift from thinking of they're in phase one to now growing into, mm -hmm. we want to call it phase two. Yeah. Well, it might be important to think about, um, for me to explain how I define and think about community to answer this question. Um, so I think, like I visualize things often and I visualize a community as these nodes that are like have multi-connections, like a web of nodes and connections, right? And each of these connections is made up of like a few conversations need to take place a few times. 
So what I'm trying to do when I start a new community is just have my initial web. And that doesn't even need to be 100 people. That could be 12 people. Like we're starting really small with the Burb community. We've maybe got like 10 to 12 active community members and then a couple dozen who are kind of observing at, at this point. Um, what I'm trying to do is keep, give them opportunities to have conversations again and again and start building those connections. And I really, it's hard because actually Drew and I talk about like, how do we visualize this? How do we understand the strength of these bonds that they're even happening? Um, it's like a next level metrics and data community visualizations that we want to create. And we don't have these, these tools, but um, you know, as the community manager, I have a vibe. I, I can, ch I can sort of guess that, Hey, I see some connections are being made, but not enough. And I'm waiting for like the strength of this initial group to like really take hold before adding in more people. If you have a strong web of bonds in that first phase, even between 12, 20, 30 people, when you start adding in people to the web, they'll just start to like really seamlessly be sucked in, right? And all these people who are making connections, they start to uphold the rituals and the norms and all the guidelines and the vibes, you know? So you really wanna get that first set of community members cohesive and connected um, and just it lays like a, a really nice foundation to then like Katamari style, just start throwing everyone in and, and they'll stick or they'll actually, some of them will bounce out because they're like, hey, this isn't for me, which is great. It is great, especially when people self-select, right? You're not trying to force yeah. 100 people into a community and say, now you're a community. That doesn't really work. Yeah, yeah. I love this visual, this anecdote of like, you're creating a web, you're reinforcing the connection so they don't break. And then as more people come in, it becomes sticky because they're going to see the yeah. connections, be part of it. That's so cool. So you mentioned a word earlier that I think is interesting, especially like I have a background in film and television producing. And so when you said programming, I'm like, ooh, my, my sense is kind of picked mm -hmm. up because when I, mm. when I think of programming, you almost think of like a network, right? And you've got dozens or hundreds of different shows and each one has different types of content and people go to it for different reasons. You know, some want to watch a show to be entertained. Others want to watch something to be scared. Others want information. Others want to learn something, whatever it might be. And so how do you think of programming especially in the early stages, because what I've seen a lot of times is I'll jump into a community that's, um, I, I, man, this is the one I've seen probably at half a dozen times where someone with a big following announces that they're starting a community. It's whether on Circle or Telegram or Signal or Slack or whatever. A thousand people or 500 people jump in. There's no programming. And so it's very <laughs> haphazard. And then it quickly yeah. dies because it's overwhelming for the person who set up the thing. I've seen communities right. come and go in two days because of this reason. Yeah. And yep. so yep. what are some of the like initial programming decisions that you often make? And maybe mm -hmm. how do you even think about what programming decisions to choose, given that there's, mm -hmm. you know, dozens of different options there. You don't want to do all of them, but you also don't want to do none of them. Yeah. My favorite strategy is what I call event first community building. So it's really focused on bringing people together in real time, like our real human faces. We can quickly understand who each other is, you know, as long as we're all given a, a little piece of airtime. Um, and then those connections that you make in an online event, like a small one, can't be like 
a lecture, right? It's got to be something, you know, interactive. Um, those really translate well to the online space. So if you don't know me, you've never seen me, you've never talked to me, you don't get my vibe, you don't know what I've been through, and I post a question in a forum, you're like looking at the question, right? If you know me and I post a question, you're like, oh, I have context here. I like this person. I know a little bit about them. Even if I don't know the answer, I might give an idea where they could find help or, you know, I just have more motivation to connect online. So I think events can be really helpful. Um, when thinking about that connection piece, right, you know, connections aren't just made like, you're great. We're having this meeting face to face. But imagine if we did this once a week, like you and I would be fast friends, right? Or once a month, right? Because we're like have this place that we go and we we make connections with each other and, and we can rely on each other. So I think about like event series, courses are great. This is why online courses and communities really work well together. Um, I do like a group call, just sort of like group coaching call with our community members. Um, those, that to me is like a really nice way to get your initial community bonded in a quick way. You know, it's going to take hundreds of conversations online to make those connections versus, you know, a few hours of us hanging out together. Definitely. I'm so glad you brought that up because, um, there's two moments that happened in my community over the last like month or two that I thought, gosh, this is a signal that it's working, right? The first was, someone went in and posted something without me asking them. And it wasn't just a comment to something I posted. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and they felt like, okay, this is a question I have for the community. They even said, I don't want just Darren to respond. I want everybody to respond. <laughs> and the, the comments were yes. really great. And one, so that was one. The other one was the two events that I set up right at the beginning was a monthly kind of check-in and accountability call, which is, What's your big goal for the month? What are you committing mm -hmm. to do? What's your focus? And that does two things. One, it helps um, everybody on the call understand what everybody's working on. So they know, oh, that's a podcaster and that's an author and that's an entrepreneur and that's a, this person. So it, it yeah. helps like with those introductions like you were talking about. But then it also gives them accountability, which is a huge thing because if they feel like they're accountable, they're going to check in, they're going to give updates, but it also is going to help motivate them to do the work because they said it publicly, this is what I'm focusing on this month. Um, yeah. The second event was a, a weekly office hours. It's almost like that group coaching thing. So I'll come in, mm -hmm. it's a simple like three question uh, check-in. It's much shorter. It's like a two minute check-in instead of a five or 10, but it's what are we celebrating this week? Like what went well or what was something cool that happened? what didn't happen and what are you committing to next week? So it's a great way for people to kind of commit and recommit and get accountable, but it's also group coaching. So when they say, well, this didn't work, I can jump in as kind of the facilitator and go, well, um, you know, I'd invite you to try this or have you ever thought about it this way? Or, wow, it sounds like, um, you know, you've, you say you want this at the beginning of the month, but now you're focusing on this. What's up with that? And I can kind of course correct with them. Um, so that's super, super cool that those are the things that you're thinking about early on. So, um, once you've done that, once you've kind of created the web, how focused are you on the growth of a community and kind of, mm -hmm. um, causing that growth or affecting that growth or speeding it up? Or is it something where you're really more like, you know, it's organic, it's going to happen how it happens. Like what, 
how do you approach that? And then maybe after that, we can dive into strategies on like, how do you actually grow a community if that's your goal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I think about it. I So that web that I talked about is awesome, but it does have a limit, right? Like I think, you know, I think it's Amazon. They have this like, is it Amazon or Google? This like two pizza rule where a team after, if, you know, they need more than two pizzas to feed a team, you, you break into another team, right? We're too big to have like those strong bonds. I think about that with community. So once we kind of feel like we're adding people and they're getting lost, then it's like, what are those sub communities that can be added um, to our community so that we have these other spaces where new smaller webs can be formed and, and then you maybe have multiple webs of connection within a community. So I always think about things as just building and strengthening and sort of spinning off this web. Um, And that's kind of how I think about growth. I think if you grow too fast, it's really hard to then put a structure to the webs. And then if you do put a structure to the webs, it might actually not be what your community needs or wants. Mm -hmm. So slow, organic growth um, to me is, is the best way to do it and to stay like attuned to the vibes, the connections, to what's going on, um, and supporting people where they ask for space and when they ask for connections and you're there and you can start making those and figuring out how to spin them into subgroups, things like that. Yeah. So are there any signals that you look for between um, people who are thinking about growing and scaling a community and especially around the paid aspect? Because there's a lot of communities that have popped up over the last year, I think. You know, with Circle becoming mm-hmm. kind of a major player in the space, a lot of people are shifting from Discord or Slack over to Circle, I've seen. Um, and there's a lot of paid communities, especially like just in my circle on Twitter, I've seen probably three or four people who have spun up communities in the last year. Um, how should people be thinking about the value creation in exchange for that membership fee? What are some of the things that you mm-hmm. think through? Um, I don't know. Have you done paid communities as well? Because I, I think some of the ones you mentioned were very public, you know, talking about Airbnb and Etsy. Those are just like everybody who's on the platform come be in the community and get help and get, um, you know, these events, this programming that you're talking about. So I'd love to dive in on like the growth of a paid community and, and that value exchange. Yeah. I've run a paid online course that has a community, but um I haven't run what I'm calling like a membership community where you're paying a membership fee to be in the community. But I can tell you how I think about understanding the health of a community and if it's if the growth is impacting the health. And I think it's the same um, principles. I will say I think paid communities are actually easier because people are paying for something and they're going to show up, right? <laughs> they're like, I'm going to check this out. I paid for this. Let me see what's happening. So I think you have a bit of a leg up when you have a paid community. Um but I think about three things. One is the con- our connections being made, which I think falls to the wayside. And I think we actually always start with one, are people getting value or like growing or transforming, which I think is super important. But um, here's what I think. When you get stuck on something and you can't move forward and you can't make it to the next level, I always think it's because you don't have the community to do it. Um, I think about like, man, I just cannot get into my yoga practice. And I like where I live, I've gone to every yoga 
um, studio here and like they're just not really welcoming. I live in LA. They're all about fitness and like I'm just like where are my people? And so like I fall off of my practice because I just don't have a community to, to support me. So I think we focus on transformation, but we forget like why we actually have this community in part as part of like the value prop. So I I do measure transformation. Are people growing? Are they feeling supported? Also, are they feeling connected? Um, and also, are they feeling supported by the leaders of the community? And that could be one creator. It could be like your moderators or could be your the team that you hire. So how do you know those things? I think surveys are the only way to do it. I have like a three or four question survey. Um, try to send that out. You know, every, you know, you can put it actually with Burb. You can schedule your survey to go out on a certain date to ever like 30 days in, I'm going to send this survey and then monitor how people are responding. That's really cool. Okay. So number, you said there were three things. So number one was our connections being made. What are, what's number two and three? (laughs) Oh, two is, you know, is the transformation or growth that you expected happening, um, and then three is like, do you feel supported? Like, would you recommend this community to someone like you? That kind of thing. Awesome. I wanted to make sure to close that loop. Otherwise I get emails going, what was number two? She never said number two and you moved on. I hate you so much. <laughs> well, I could send you the link as well. I have a whole article, which I call the ultimate community survey. Um, so I, I can send a link to Please. you as well. I'm going to implement that probably after this. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so here's another question for you. And it's been an interesting thing for me because I did not go into this whole creator economy thing thinking that I was going to start a community. If you told me last year that I would be launching a community, I would have been like, that's ridiculous. There's way too many communities. We don't need another one, yada, yada, right? So here's what happened with me. I decided that I wanted to kind of become an online creator. I wanted to have revenue streams that came from digital products and community and things like that. Well, not community initially. So I started with a book and then as I was writing the book and then publishing and promoting the book, all of this kind of coalesced into like a group of people who I knew I could serve. And one of my favorite things to do in person is to connect people. So if I'm at an event, a networking event, I I actually don't love the whole like, hey, who are you? Tell me about yourself. Talk about me and blah, blah, blah. The thing I love is like, oh my gosh, um, Austin, you need to meet Joe over here. You guys would connect on Bitcoin or whatever it is because I know Austin, I know Joe, and I know they're going to hit it off. So literally on Monday of this week, like four days ago, I had an event, which was like a launch party for this community I started. And that was my whole job was like, I want every single person here to meet someone new that they've never met before. So I love that you're, um, you know, talking about the importance of those connections and creating that web early on. But let me get to the point I was <laughs> I was talking about. So I didn't think I was going to start a community, and what I'm realizing is that yes, you can create a ton of value there, but it also takes a lot of time. And I think a lot of people underestimate what goes into building a thriving community. So I wonder if you can talk mm-hmm. about that. Is it a full-time thing? Should you really have a community manager that's separate from the founder? Mm-hmm. Like, is there a ceiling or a limit to how much you can do on your own as an individual trying to run a community mm-hmm. of 100, 200, 500, whatever people? At what point do yeah. you need to start thinking about it as a business and not just a cool hangout online? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, this is one reason why I love paid communities. A lot of people will start free communities and then they quickly grow and it's everything's great until they grow so big that it's not great anymore. And who's moderating conversations? Um, so if you have a paid community, uh, you'll have some incentive to like invest in it and really think about meaningfully growing this community and supporting it. Um, I think you could do it on your own to start for sure. And it's actually really great for you to do it on your own because you'll learn what motivates people, how to like, what does the back end look like? What are the operations of this thing? You know, what what's the vibe? What's the tone? How do people react when I reach out to them? Um, it's great to be hands-on at first. I think you can do that for a while. Um, once you hit like a thousand members, there should be like a full-time person. Um, that's like a general rule of thumb, but it really depends on your community. I mean, I'm building a community at Burb where like I'm building a community for community people. So like, hey, they're in online communities all day. I don't think they want to be sitting in our online community all day. <laughs> so the idea behind my strategy is like, if you come into this community once or twice a week, you're going to get something out of it. You're going to meet someone. There's going to be a conversation you want to tap into, and then you can you know, go on your business and come back next week. Um, so in that case, I don't need to be there full time watching every single thread. It's, you know, it's um, the space is doing what it's intended to do. And I don't need to really be there all the time. I'm working on other things like um, putting a lot of resources that are available in the community space and, you know, having online events and recording them and that kind of thing. That's so it really depends on your strategy and what you're doing there. Um, but I do suggest doing it first. The second thing that's really cool is like, if you do it yourself, you'll notice who the natural leaders are in the community and who's like so excited and invested and steps up. And that's a person who's great to pay them to be a part-time moderator. Um, you'd be surprised that people will actually do that without you paying them, but like actually you should pay people for their labor, but um, <laughs> you can have them be volunteer leaders for a certain amount of time. And you probably don't want to say you need to be here and and there at this time but um yeah it's great to find the leaders within the community and then even elevate them into like paid help yeah i love that idea especially um if it's a paid community early on you know you've you will probably have at least this is how i think about it. it's i didn't go into it thinking i'm going to turn this community into my full-time job or my full-time income this is something i want to exist and so i built it because i have the know-how of like how to spin up a community and create a subdomain and like invite people to it and all that stuff. Um, yeah. But the idea of pulling that and then reinvesting it into the community, people who are showing up and giving you value, it's really, really cool. And in that whole thing that you had just shared, there was definitely some moments where you can tell how much thought you put into creating a community. You're thinking about how are people going to interact with this? Is this, a daily thing where it's a constant stream, like a discord where the people who are in it are going to be online all day long. Cause that's a very mm -hmm. different community and a very different experience than like what you're talking about, which is, Hey, they're busy people. They're building stuff. They already do this five other places. They're not going to want to be in here every day. So it completely changes the structure and the approach of the community. So it's such an important thing, I think for, creators of communities to learn is that early on you really need to be thinking about how do you serve your audience rather than how do you serve yourself because you might want this yeah. big thriving awesome 
constantly 24-7 crazy stream of consciousness type stuff. <laughs> but if you go out and, and reach out to people who are like, no, I don't want that, you're going to have a hard time yeah. growing that thing and building that thing. So it's also yeah. encouraging to hear you say that like paid communities are sometimes easier and you've got all these benefits because I think a lot of people... I hear it in the newsletter space a lot where it's like, don't start with a paid newsletter, start with a free one and then convert a percentage of those people to the paid. It's like, yeah, but mm. if you have a value proposition, you can start selling that thing early on, right? So I have yeah. a VIP newsletter that's only sent out to the people that are in the community. It gets delivered in the community. So it's not even part of the, the newsletter delivery system that I have set up for my free newsletter. But I started that when the community started and the only people who got it for the first like five weeks were the eight people who paid the early access to get into the community. And I was totally okay with that. And it was the most engaged yeah. group ever. The open rates were 90 mm -hmm. on a mm -hmm. newsletter. Yeah. Like it's insane. So yeah. what you're yeah. doing is you're identifying the people who are your, your true fans. They're the people who are going to be with you who have bought in and get the vision early on. So the best thing you can do is give them opportunities to have more access, more information, more involvement, yep. and more value yeah. from everything you're creating instead of just lumping them in with the rest of the community that some people couldn't care less and accidentally signed up and they never will open an email. It's a very different community member than someone who's like literally checking every day and respond, replying to every tweet and all of those kind of things. So I'm just glad yes, you brought yeah. that up that like, it's okay if your goal is to create a paid community right off the bat. Um, so maybe we could quickly talk about like strategies for getting that those early people in. Are you a fan of like going and inviting a dozen or two dozen friends and giving them lifetime access and comping their fee? Are you trying to get everybody paid from the get go? Like, how do you think about maybe if you were to launch a paid community, how would you go about, those early, you know, one or two dozen people like you were talking about, identifying them, inviting them in, creating an offer that makes sense to get them enticed in. How do you think through yep. that stuff? Yeah, I think first you start with your research. And so you should be having conversations with people before you make any decisions. Um, what I like to do is actually bring people into a group call, like a group research session and have people who would be ideal community members. Let's hop onto a Zoom. We're going to talk about this idea of starting a community together. I ask them, hey, what could we do together that like is not possible when we're doing on our own? Um, I see how they interact with each other, like how they're answering my questions, but how they're interacting and connecting with each other. Is that easy? Are there certain topics that easily like they want to talk about? Do they even say, hey, we should connect after this on Twitter? Like, what are they doing? What are they asking for in these research calls? And you can even bring them back multiple times and say, I want to do a series of three research calls over three weeks. You're my initial group. Um, you'll have first access. I wouldn't give it to them for free because what I actually think is that people are really excited, especially these like fans of yours um, and their ideal community members. They're really excited to build this with you. And that's like, that's an extra advantage to being an early uh, person. So you could say, hey, I'd love for you to like help me come up with this strategy where we're going to have this community, what it's going to be about. Um, you'll have first access, you know, if you choose 
like if we created the right space for you and you want in, then you'll have like early access and be the first 12 people in the community. That's, that's how I'd position that. Amazing. I love that a lot. And it speaks um, or it resonates with me because that's really what I did. I didn't have group calls. So I love that idea. I don't even think it's too late to do that now that I've already started the community, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, that, yeah. like, all right, now I, now that I've got my dozen or two dozen people in there that are active, let's get them all on a call and figure out what we want this to be and build it together. That's such a great opportunity for someone who's come into a community. But just to kind of share the experience I had, I had, so I launched the book and I did what's called an early access to the book. It wasn't a pre-order because early access came with a lot more perks than just getting a copy of the book when it's launched. So the yeah. early access members, it was $50 and that's an annual recurring membership fee. They got early access to the community. They're getting a signed hardback copy of the book. And then we did a one hour strategy session, like a coaching call. And that yeah. served two purposes. The first purpose was to actually do a strategy call where I said, what are you working on? And what's the biggest frustration you have with like reaching your goal so far? And it gave me an opportunity to just show them that I knew what I was talking about and I could actually help them. And, but what happened for me was that it surfaced a lot of common frustrations and struggles. Mm. And so by the end of a dozen calls, I'm like, oh my gosh, I know exactly the value that I can provide from the get-go because eight out of 10 people were saying the same thing. And it was, yeah. they had, well, it doesn't matter what their, their thing was. That was specific to my community, but like, <laughs> What's cool mm -hmm. is that it surfaced, right? But we're yeah. talking about that's 10 or 12 hours of my time in the course of a month or two that I took yeah. specific for that reason. And normally I would charge $250 yeah. an hour for a strategy call, but I was giving that as part of this early access because I wanted people to see there's a ton of value. Mm -hmm. But yeah. we got testimonials from people. We got recommendations from people. It helped clarify the messaging and the value proposition, all that stuff for me. So these early calls, whether they're one-on-one -on -one or whether they're mm -hmm. thing, I'm really excited to try that out, um, I think are just so valuable because it helps you understand what it actually is that you're building. People generally buy products uh, because they have a job to be done. This is a theory that Clayton Christensen um, espoused in his book. Uh, I forget the name of the book. It'll come to me. Um, how to measure your life. And it's an amazing book, first of all, but this jobs to be done theory is so important because people aren't joining a community because they think it'll be fun. Like, or because <laughs> like that's too simple of a reason. They're act they actually have something they want. They have an outcome that they're after. And they think that this community is a way to get there. Now it may be, connection, yeah. it may be education. Mm -hmm. It may be transformation, but you won't know unless you talk to them and ask them what it is they need help with. And then yeah. because you've learned that now you can craft the actual structure, the organization, the web, like everything we've talked about to deliver on that promise so that when they show up, they go, Oh my gosh, this is exactly what I was hoping. This is, this is completing the job that I had. You know, it's very similar yeah. to like hiring a plumber and saying, Hey, I've got a leaky faucet. I need you to fix it. And by the end of this transaction and your time working on it, I want a faucet that is no longer leaky. Here's a hundred dollars an hour of your time later. I want a non-leaky faucet. That, that simplicity of that, you know, transformation or that process 
can be directly ported over to community where you say, what is it that you need help with? That's what I did in these strategy calls. I said, what is frustrating you right now about reaching your goals? I combined and collected all of that data and I looked at it and I said, wow, what's, what's the common thread here? I figured out what it was and then I directly implemented ways to help with that in the community. So they yeah. all felt, even though, even though they don't know that I was doing that, now they mm-hmm. all feel like I know exactly what they need help with and they're showing up because it's helping them get that job done. So yeah. um, very cool. It's just, sometimes it's nice to uh, speak with an expert like yourself and to say, here's how I kind of cobbled together something. How did I do it? And, <laughs> yes. and you're talking about like, oh, I did that and that. Great. I actually did an okay job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, when I give talks and stuff, I'm like, hey, I've done a lot of stuff, but you are the expert in your community. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people want to hire me to run their communities. And I'm like, hey, I, I'm not a fly fisherman. <laughs> you know, like, how the heck am I going to know? Like, I would have to take months to really figure out this persona and unlock it. But I mean, if you know your people well, and you are like minded, um, you'll have more insights about how to strategize your community programming, what platform you should be on uh, than I will. You know, I love to come up with frameworks and ways to think through stuff. But yeah, I mean, I'm only an expert in these like super niche things that I've done. I mean, as I build the Burb community, I'm like making mistakes here and there. I'm like, our community's dead right now, to be honest, because that's just what happens. Everybody came in, we're excited. Uh, We got to continue talking to the community members, see what's new, see what's working, what's not working, run some more events. You know, it's the middle of the summer. So um, I'm learning as I go too. So, you know, we're all just figuring it out as we go with our individual communities. Yeah. Well, I think what, one thing you said that's really important is for people to realize when they're starting a community, you have to kind of approach it as my goal is to become the expert of this community, to understand Mm -hmm. better than anyone else here, what everybody needs, how to connect them, what programming needs to happen. So if you approach it casually, like, Oh, I set it up and we'll see what happens. That's when they kind of die out really fast. That's some of those communities I've joined over the last year. Um, But the ones that I stuck around with and that are thriving have a very structured approach to like, okay, here's our monthly calls. Here's our weekly check-ins. Here's the content like programming that we're going to do. One of them, they just started a new show, I'll call it, where he's going through and building something in real time. And so every three days or so, he's posting a new 30 or 40 minute real-time video of him building the thing that we're all trying to learn how to build. It's like an email marketing thing. And this is amazing. But the only place you can get it is in the community. That's him understanding what the community needs. If you approach it casually and you're not paying attention, you're not like becoming not an architect, a uh, archaeologist where you're trying to dig carefully and swiftly about like, what your audience needs, then you're doing them a disservice, I think. So very, 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 yeah. very cool. Um, I've loved this. So with the few minutes we have left, you know, we've got one or two people in the audience. If anyone has questions, go ahead and leave them in the chat. And then as they're doing that, hopefully, um, Danielle, I'd love to just hear a little bit about Burb and what the problem that you're solving is. Because I kind of, I, I, it was interesting because I saw Burb a few times and I think you guys followed me on Twitter because 
April, April and Alter was like working for you guys mm. doing marketing and I knew her. So like, I kind of was like adjacent to it, but never really dove in until recently your CEO drew like responded to me on Twitter and was like, Hey, that thing you have a problem with, uh, we solved that with Burb. And I was like, Oh, amazing. <laughs> and boom, there we go. So that was really yeah. cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I would just love to know what is Burb? Like, what's the problem that you're solving? Yeah. What's the value proposition there? You can totally pitch yourself here. That's totally fine. <laughs> sure. We're talking about community. This is a super valuable tool as I've been diving into it over the last few weeks. Yeah. Well, the reason why I got super excited about Burb and actually Drew and I have been talking before Burb was Burb, um, just about problems I faced in the community space, building communities, um, in the middle of my community journey, this is sort of a long, windy story, but I tell you, I will get to a point here. But in the middle of my community journey, I ran a customer support team. Um, you know, one of those things that just falls on your lap and you're like, I'm going to figure this out and do it. I had so many tools and so much data. Like I knew we were tagging conversations. We knew what the response time was. We knew what our top problems were with our customers every month and we could try to attack those um, I knew which customer service agents were like killing it and which ones were like probably burning out and needed some support. I just had all these tools and like all these ways of measuring conversations. So like put that aside. Then I've been building community. I have absolutely no tools, no tools at all. Um, I also like really early on and like 15 years ago bumped into MailChimp and I was like obsessed with email marketing. I I'm not a marketing person, but like it was just a fun, playful tool at the time. It like really helped me understand email and open rates and, you know, running tests, segments, all that kind of stuff. And it gave me these tools. I was not a professional marketer, but it gave me these tools to do a better job at sending emails. Um, so Drew and I had just been talking like, well, the, the like average person who's building a community, the creator who's building a community, the person who's not going to pay 30K for community software has no tools, right? They're hacking together and trying to figure things out without having tools. So really that's like the conversation kind of Drew also comes from Yammer and he's got a product background. So it was really cool to like give him ideas and then see how he thought through of creating a product around those ideas or problems. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where Burb started to bubble up from. And now we are a suite of tools for anyone running a community on Circle, Slack, Discord, for example. Uh, we'll give you a CRM so you can see all your members in one spot, see how they're connected, um, you like which platforms are connected on. Um, you can like add tags and notes, which like the way you're making connections manually between people, you can imagine as you go, that's going to be really hard. But if you're continually like tagging and adding information on, on your members' profiles, then you can start connecting them, right? This person brought up this, and I know this person's an expert in it. Um, uh, we also give you a way to schedule a direct message or a group of direct messages to all your members um, or schedule a post, you know, just be more efficient with your time. Um, and then automations. So we're, we know we saw a lot of creators just like coming up with these really complex zap zaps or, you know, like so many steps breaking in different points. So we're like, Hey, we can actually help you figure out automations, make it really easy for you. We even just launched automation templates. If you don't know where to start, we have five different things you can launch for your community. Yeah. 
So that's what we're building over at Burp. It's so cool. And I, I personally love like getting into a, a company or an app super early because I like watching people build it and seeing like, oh, mm. they built this. I wonder why that was the most important thing to build out right now, right? And it's very cool to see, to watch that. The, um, just for my own, like this is my own recommendation for people. If you're running a, a community on Circle, like it lacks a lot of these kind of automation and scheduling and stuff like that. And so it's almost like I'm right, I'm right at the stage of like, okay, I don't have that much time to do this community thing every week, but I also don't have revenue to hire a community manager. Um, nor do I think it's a valuable thing to ask somebody to like be the community manager member, community manager for free. <laughs> Cause it's like, there's not enough going on yet. And they'd just be like, well, why do you need a community manager? So this really fills that gap between like, I don't yet have like a dedicated person, but there are things that could very easily be automated that save me hours a week already at the very small stage that my community is at. I'm like, Oh, that just saved me like two hours. Pretty amazing. Cool. Right. So there's my little pitch. Um, we did get one question from the audience here. So um, maybe we can kind of end on this because I want to be respectful of your time here. And then um, it seems like this is the question. It seems like overcomplication is a common tendency of folks just starting out with the community. So what are some common patterns that you've seen where people mm. overcomplicate that either they should avoid or put that in Burb and let Burb kind of handle it and systematize it so it isn't overcomplicating, it's actually being more effective. Yeah. Um, off the top of my head, what comes to me first is I go into a lot of brand new communities that have 20 spaces or channels and it's just too much. There's not that much. What you're doing then is like sparsing, like you're taking your conversation that should be sort of in one area and then you're just trickling it out throughout and then people have to go dig around to find a conversation or they're just overwhelmed or they go to a space and it's empty. So keeping it really simple to start is great and focus. Like we have the bird community. Um, we have a weekly check-in and that's like our main space. We have this rosebud thorn framework, like share something great, share something that's like on the horizon and share something that's a little bit gnarly that's going on. Um, and come back every week. So that's like our main space really. And we just started to add from there. So that's one thing people often want to go straight to tools. Like what platform should this be on? What tool should I be using? Um, before like the strategy talks or like the tests, you know? Um, so that's something I see people do. And then actually like Burb has automations. Automations are great. But you should only automate things once you've done them manually and you know how your community responds or else you're just going to be like sending out the same onboarding message to every member that doesn't work <laughs> and you just have it rolling, right? So um, do automations, but do them once you've figured out the workflow that that works. Then you set up your automation. Yeah, that's that's very much how strategies and systems should be built where you do it manually and then you systematize it and then you can optimize it from there. But if, yeah, if you just start building all of these zaps and all of these things, I've run into that trap with this one. And then you realize like, Oh shoot, that zap wasn't working the way I thought it was two months later. You're like, shoot, now I need to go in and do it manually. And it's harder to fix it manually than if you had just done it manually the first time, because now you have yeah. to go through, person by person, make sure like, does this work and that and blah, blah, blah. 
So I will share one little bit that I did, which is kind of the opposite of what you recommended, which is I did build out a lot of channels, but knowing Mm. that with circle, there's a home feed. So it does kind of create a little social media feed without all the ads and without all the algorithms and stuff. It's just a real time of like, here's a post from this space. Here's a post from this space. And it puts it all in one place. So I felt like, okay, I'm not going to overwhelm people if they only want to you know, pay attention to one space, they can, but if they want to yeah. see what they may miss since there's not a ton of uh, conversation going on yet in that community. There is a way to do that. But yeah. one thing that I took um, and the reason why I felt like the community was going to be such an easy addition to the business was because I wrote this book called Crafts and Creative, and it just covers like how to go from a five-figure creator to a six-figure business owner. And in it, I have different parts. So I have a part on mindset, finances, sales, marketing, audience building, systems and optimization. And I literally just took each part and created a space inside the Mm. community. So that's very much an expansion and like a continuation of the journey for people who are coming in from the book to go, wow, there's, there's 20, 30, 50, hundred, whatever other people that have read the book that are on this journey that are all doing the same work. That seems interesting. So it's not a complete, mm-hmm. it's not a diversion at all. It's literally just a continuation of the journey for someone who's coming in. And so I often talk to people about when they're creating products and offerings for people like, how can you create them in a way that they are interconnected, that they compound and they build on one another, and that when you work on one thing, it actually adds value to this other thing indirectly because of the way you built it and the way you structured it all out. So whenever I go and promote the book or talk about, here's a, here's a snippet from my book, that actually is content for the community. It brings people mm-hmm. in. It, it adds value all over the place. And it just kind of multiplies and uh, it expands exponentially. There's some good yeah. words for you. Expands exponentially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm an author. I know all the words. So um, I just think that's an important thing for people to hear that like you can do it that way, but it has to be conscious, right? You don't want to just yeah. haphazard mm-hmm. go, well, I've seen other communities where there's 100 channels, so I'm going to build 100 channels from day one. No. But, right. but you can have multiple channels if there's a purpose behind it and you know how it's going to work. And like you said, you understand the journey that a new member is going to take. I'm really interested and excited to dive into that resource. And so all the links that were mentioned, everything, we'll make sure to put those in the show notes. Um, Danielle, thank you for your time. This has been amazing. I feel like I learned a ton. I have like, I've had my Rome notes open the whole time and I've got like 30 different bullet points here. So I'm excited to start building some more. Um, Where can people find you? Where can they kind of find the stuff you've written about community and where you talk about that stuff? And then where can they go to check out Burb? Yeah, we'll go to burb.co. We have a resources tab there. Um, I'm obsessed with turning like what you hear every day into like a helpful worksheet or template. Um, You just got me thinking about community flywheels. I'm about to put out a template of like how to actually... I hear about community flywheels. They're important. Wait, how do I actually think through creating one? Um, so yeah, the resources are there and uh, I write all my blog posts there now. So yeah, you can find me on burb.co. I'm on Twitter too, Danielle XO, but sometimes my political musings mix in with my community thoughts. So you might not want that. <laughs> so 
up to you. <laughs> well, Twitter is the cocktail party of the internet. So you're bound to bump into some political chatter every once in a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I highly recommend that if you are building out a community on Slack or Discord or Circle, check out Burb. It's very, very cool. And the team, you know, I've now met you. I've met Drew. I know some people who have invested in Burb. I know some people who worked at Burb, and so I'm I'm just <laughs> severely impressed, um, and I'm excited to actually like use it to its full extent. I feel like I've you know, scratched the surface barely. I think I built one automation. I felt really good about myself, but there's so much more that I can do there. So thank you for your time. Thanks for sharing Burb with us. And uh, yeah, all right, everybody, go follow Danielle on Twitter and go check mm-hmm. out Burb. And then if you want to get a copy of my book, head over to CraftsmanCreative.co. All the info is there. All right. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you.